Well, good morning. It's fabulous to be back. It's a long time, isn't it? But it's good to be together to worship God. God has made us a people. We have been shaped by God's will. Jesus calls us together, and we meet in Jesus' name. The Spirit binds us together and leads us into truth. You may or may not know that the first Sunday in October is the church anniversary um, of Hillhead Baptist Church, and we are 130 years old today, or this weekend. So it seems quite appropriate that our opening hymn recalls the memories that can fill our minds on a day such as this. We thank you for the memories that fill our hearts' minds today. Please stand if you can as we sing. And now let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Living God, in this building, used to the sound of singing, where there have been baptisms and funerals, where people have come to be married or to celebrate the birth of a child. This building, where some have wept and some been filled with joy, where people have struggled with the deep things of life, have prayed urgently, been stirred and changed. In this building, where you have so often been with your people, be with us now. And Lord God, whether we've rushed or taken our time in coming to church today, we have come ill-prepared. You have invited us to meet with you, You have created space to time for together that will affect all other moments of the week. You've called us to take time to recall your love and mercy. And yet we've come heedlessly, as if we were going shopping or to the park. We may even have lists of things in our minds that we want you to sort out. Feelings and emotions that we want to gain and which will last us without too much effort. We've not prepared ourselves to worship. Stop us now and help us as we wonder at the scope of your love. You care for each of us as if each you care for each one of us alone. Help us to face you today, to receive what it is you want to give and to wonder at your love. Amen. Now then, is there anybody here who likes secret signs and secret codes? Anybody that likes secret signs and secret codes? No? Neil does. Phew. It's not just me then. Okay, I'm going to show you one. And you might know it and you might not, but we'll see how we go. Does anybody know what this one is? Oh, Carl's hand straight at... Mm-hmm. Well, that's fantastic. So you know about lots of secret signs already. Ha-ha, my job is done. I can go. That's right. The fish was a sign that the early Christians used to tell each other that they were there. And do you know what they did? 
Can you remember how they did? Somebody would draw that on the sand. You're quite right. And what would they wait for to see if somebody else knew what it meant? Do you know? Well, they would wait to see if the other person put the I in. And if they did the dot for the I, that meant they knew what it was. And if they didn't put the dot for the I, they hoped, but they didn't know what it was, and they weren't a sneaky Roman pretending. So I've got an older picture of that because fish in Greek, which I know Carl knows because he's very intelligent, is ichthus. And the letters of ichthus spell out Jesus Christos Deus Huios Soter. Jesus Christ, God's Son, Saviour. So it was a secret code that Jesus' followers could use to let each other know they were there. Very good. Okay, one that's a bit more up-to-date, which I'm told you might know as well. So we've got the fish, but it's got some letters written inside it. Can anybody see what those letters are written inside the fish? Oh, you're out of practice, aren't you? (laughs) What have my stand-ins been doing all summer? WWJD, written inside a fish. So does anybody know what the secret code... W, W, J, or J, D, means. Thank you, Miss Allen. What would Jesus do? That's right. And some people have a bracelet or a, a key ring or something with that written on it. And it's a secret code to yourself. So that as you go around everyday life, you can think, well, I wonder what Jesus would do. So if there's a, you're falling out over... Who gets to have the toy? I wonder what Jesus would do. Or if you see something that's unfair, what might Jesus say in this situation? So it's a secret code that we can use to help ourselves. If you're grown up, we'll put it in slightly different language, what would the Christ-like response be in this situation? That's kind of the grown-up version of the same, but it doesn't make a good, neat slogan. Okay, one more. Anyone seen that one before? Anyone know what it says? Anybody read that word? It says, wimps. And this is the secret code for today. I wonder if anybody knows who wimps refers to. Well, if I show you, it's a bit of an old photo, but it will do. The wimps are us. This is our secret code for today and to take on into the year because W-I-M-P-S, WIMPS, spells out some values, some ideas about ways of living that we are going to promise together to try to be. We actually did it four years ago and we've done it since, but today we're going to do it again. I can't remember what picture's next, so oh, that's the words we're going to use. So, W-I-M-P-S. W for worshipping, I for inclusive, M for missional, P for prophetic, and S for sacrificial. It's good sometimes to make promises to each other to remind ourselves what we're about as a church, and hopefully where you are on your chairs, either on your chair or one next to you, there should be an A4 sheet of paper with the covenant promises on there. 
They will appear on screen if you prefer to read them off the screen, so don't worry if you can't see the paper. I do my best to accommodate everybody's preferences and what have you, but uh, we will get there. So these are some promises that we're going to make together. If it's in ordinary type, then I will say it. If it's in italic type, that's a slopey type, and if we can read, we'll say it together. And there will also be some more pictures will appear on the screen as well. God has made us a people. We have been shaped by God's will. Jesus calls us together. We meet in Jesus' name. The Spirit binds us together and leads us into truth. Today we renew our covenant to serve and encourage this church and community to respect and care for each other, to take responsibility for the people we are and those we hope to be in Christ. We are called to be wimps together. W. We are called to be a worshipping people, seeking and celebrating the God who journeys with us and open to the Spirit in the whole of life. We are called to be an inclusive people, pulling down the walls of prejudice and welcoming the stranger. We are called to be a missionary people, demonstrating in word and action the redeeming love of God in the world. We are called to be a prophetic people, working for justice, resisting violence, and challenging the abuse of power. We are called to be a sacrificial people, risking uncertainty, becoming vulnerable, and reflecting the generosity of God. Creating and redeeming God, we give you thanks and praise. Your covenant of grace was made for our salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord. We come this day to renew our covenant with you and with companion disciples, to watch over each other and to walk together before you in ways known and still to be made known. Pour your spirit upon us. Help us so in your ways that the promises we make this day and the life that we live together may become an offering of love, our duty and delight, truly glorifying to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This day we give ourselves again to the Lord and to each other to be bound together in fellowship and to work together in the unity of the Spirit for the sake of God's mission. God of life, you call us and envision us. We give ourselves today to each other and to you, trusting that as you call us, so you covenant to share this journey with us, to nurture and sustain our life together, and to guide our paths. Amen. Our first reading today is Psalm 37. 
Do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will make your vindication shine like the light, and the justice of your cause like the noonday. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way, over those who carry out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Our New Testament reading is from the second letter of Timothy, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you, through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher, and for this reason I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust— and I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. Thanks be to God. I don't know about you, but... Around about this time of year, I usually buy myself a new diary and I start transferring the important dates from one diary to the next. And I expect we've all got our own dates that are important to us, but I suspect things like church anniversaries don't quite make it into our diaries, do they? And maybe that has an influence on how we feel about church, I'm not sure. 
The first Sunday in October is our church anniversary. It's the day on which we mark, or fail to mark, the anniversary of our foundation by the visionary men and women who left Adelaide Place Baptist Church in the city centre to found a new congregation on what was then the outskirts of the city. As I said already, we are 130 years old this weekend. That's a good long time, isn't it? It's also significant in our present because it just so happened that my induction landed on church anniversary Sunday. I think it just happened, or maybe it was a bit of divine something or other. And we covenanted together to the five core values that make the mnemonic WIMPs, which we've used this morning. As I was looking at the lectionary readings for this week, I was really struck by the phrase in that reading from the letter of Paul to Timothy, where Paul tells him to guard the good treasure that has been entrusted to you. All words to that effect, anyway. The Greek word doesn't neatly translate into English, but it does carry with it a sense of something of enormous value that is entrusted to somebody to take care of. And it seemed quite appropriate that we pick that as our text, if you like, to work with today. I'm not actually going to do an expository kind of a sermon today, so sorry if you were waiting for one of those. But it seems to me that here at Hillhead, we have been entrusted with good treasure. Far more beautiful and far more wonderful than sometimes we realise. Now, we know that the Apostle Paul was referring to the gospel when he talked to Timothy, this gospel treasure that we have to pass on. The trouble is, I think, that sometimes we have too narrow and too small an understanding of what is meant by gospel. It's certainly the case that in post-Reformation, post-Enlightenment, Western evangelical Christianity, we've tended to limit the extent of that to a set of beliefs. But actually, it's far more than that. It's something that we do. It's something that we are. We are called to do and to be good news, not just to speak good news. When the Five Core Values was launched, a very long time ago now, it was entitled Five Core Values for a Gospel People. In other words, each of the five values is a lived expression of the gospel. These are the good treasure that we are to guard if we are to live out the life of faith and service to which together we're called. One of the dangers of this image of guarding something is that it can be seen as, well, we've got to protect it. We mustn't let anybody damage it. We mustn't get it out because somebody might steal it. We mustn't use it because it might get broken or damaged. You can kind of see where I'm going. We're afraid that if we engage with things, if we do what we're called to do, it might affect us in ways we don't like. The trouble with that, this desire to protect it from harm, is that out of sight is out of mind. And it's us that loses out. We are the losers when we don't do and be what we are called by God to do and be. And doing that is risky. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes it goes horribly, horribly wrong. But then Jesus never said it would be easy, did he? 
If you want to follow me, take up your cross and then follow me. We aren't called to be perfect. We're called to be wimps. We're called to be these people who hold these values. And what does that mean? What does it look like? Well, I think it's good this morning to take a bit of time to look at the five core values in the light of our own history at Hillhead and think how we might continue to express them in our present life together. Now, I have got some pictures, and I've forgotten. So I was told that Frances used pictures in her sermons. So I thought, oh, okay, I've got to keep up with Frances then. So this was my, uh, my wordle of um, the covenant. Um, somebody told me that Frances had used wordles, so I thought, well, I better go and do a wordle then. We're terribly competitive, we ministers. <laughs> Not really. But these are some of the words. These are the words of the covenant we've made, um, put through some computer software that makes it into a pattern. But we are called to be a worshipping people. We are called to be a worshipping people, seeking and celebrating the God who journeys with us, open to the Spirit in the whole of life. I suspect when people think about church, worship is the first thing that comes to mind. Hillhead has a long and proud tradition of worship, and it was such a popular preaching centre in the early days that visitors would be held in a side room until all the members had been seated, and if there were any chairs left over, they were permitted, or pews left over, they were permitted in. Those days are long gone, thankfully. And just in case anybody wonders, if we ever reach the day that we have too many people for the chairs, it's the members will be chucked out so the visitors can get in. But worship isn't about sitting and listening to some erudite speaker and then debating what they've said, though it's good if you do discuss the stuff that I talk about. But worship is about seeking for God, reaching beyond what we know or understand in the hope that the promises we read in the ancient scriptures hold truth. It's about fostering, here's a cliche coming up, an attitude of gratitude for the everyday blessings. It's learning to live, thankfully, gratefully. It's about interceding for a broken and bewildering world. It's about trying to line up our minds and hearts with the love and justice of God as revealed to us in Jesus. This summer, I was able to visit a number of other churches, which meant I worshipped in all sorts of styles, in all sorts of places. Sometimes we had guitars, sometimes we had pianos. Mostly we had screens. Sometimes we did a lot of interaction, sometimes we didn't. But the same thing is true for all of us, irrespective of the style. Worship isn't about how it makes us feel. And it isn't about how much we like what we hear. Occasionally somebody comes and tells me they didn't like my sermon. I take that as a compliment. It's not about feel-goods. It's not about what we like. It's about centering on God and allowing that time and what we hear and what we think about and perhaps what we feel to transform what happens in the other 167 hours a week. Or 166 and a half if I go on too long. So worship about aligning our wills with God, bringing to God God's world.
We're called to be an inclusive people, pulling down the walls of prejudice and welcoming the stranger. Back in the 1880s, the founders of Hillhead Baptist Church made a bold move that was about inclusivity. In a culture where most people went to church, and most people still had their babies baptised within the dominant traditions, so Church of Scotland here, Church of England down south, these people who founded our church made a decision to allow into membership people who had not been baptised as believers, the normal Baptist way of doing things, and even who had not been baptised at all. It was a really bold move for inclusion, And you've heard me say before that I think we've misunderstood that to the extent that sometimes we belittle the importance of baptism. It was a great joy yesterday to to have a baptism service. But even so, it's a really good example of how they were pulling down barriers and welcoming strangers. At the time the Five Core Values was produced, I listened to countless sermons preached about inclusion And it was about nationality, race, language, gender, age, ability stroke disability if we were feeling really good. And church has got a bit smug. We've got this sorted. You know, we've got our black person and our Asian person. We've got a woman who plays the guitar. We've got somebody who's blind or whatever. Aren't we good? We've got all those people. We've moved on since then. And we know that inclusion is not that easy. It's not just a list of boxes to tick. But welcoming and embracing one people group may accidentally make another people group feel excluded, unwelcome, unwanted. We recognise that sometimes we have to make choices and live with the consequences. It seems to me that at the heart of an attitude of inclusion is a commitment to diversity, accepting that sincere Christians do not always agree on many things, whether it's medical ethics, party politics, who may serve at the Lord's table, who may be received into membership, and so on. I think what is important is that we have to try to overcome prejudice. Prejudice is the unthinking assumption that I'm right, and you, if you don't agree with me, are wrong. And the only way we can overcome prejudice is to begin to get into looking at these complex issues. At the same time as trying to welcome without judgment people whose lives or values may challenge our sense of what is okay. Inclusion doesn't mean that anything goes, but it actually requires us to have a level of humility. That, as it says, I think it's in Romans, uh, Miss Allen will correct me if I'm wrong, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. There is not one of us who has got it all sorted. And therefore, not one of us has the right to exclude somebody else because we think they're not sorted in some other way. Inclusion is also a sense that we are in this together. Not one up there and others down there, but all of us together. It's challenging, this inclusion thing. It's not easy. We're also called to be a missionary people. 
to demonstrate in word and action the redeeming love of God in the world. Those of us who are involved in wider Baptist life at the moment, and I suspect wider Christian life at the moment, mission and missional are the buzzwords of the moment. Wherever you go, it's mission, missional. Now, at the same time as that, I know there are people here in our church who hate that word passionately. They tell me it's old-fashioned. They tell me it's um, based in the... uh, the word that's gone out of my head where Britain was a colonial, it's a colonial word. I'll get there eventually. I shouldn't go off piste, I really shouldn't. They think it's dated, they think it's aggressive, they think, well, they just don't like it. Whether we like the word or whether we don't like the word, what it means is about being sent. And that's surely at the heart of what Christianity is about. What else can it mean for us to love God and to love our neighbour if we don't do something about it. That, surely, is mission. If we don't do it, how can we say we're loving God and obeying God? Every Sunday when we come to church, you will see certain artefacts on our table. Usually, if it's not a communion Sunday, we will have a beautiful piece of African cloth, a gift from one of our former students a reminder of our overseas connection. And we have a lovely little wooden cross, which was a gift from one of my predecessors. I can't remember which one. Bruce Keeble, thank you. So Bruce gave us this cross. And always one of these communion cups. To see which one we've got today. We have these from two churches. This one says, Hillhead Baptist Church, Partick Mission, 1898. Because you see, within just a few years of this church being established, they're pretty busy, these Victorians, weren't they? They had established mission churches in Partick and Port Dundas. Mission was something that drove these people who founded our church. Amongst the churches I visited this summer were Partick. Andrum Chapel, which I think is where Port Dundas moved out to when they closed down, so right, possibly, uh, and Castle Hill, which is Bears Den. Each of these churches was either planted by this church or supported in its emergence by this church. And they're totally different, totally, totally different, but they're all authentic to their place. Perhaps I can tell you about the day I went to Drum Chapel. Drum Chapel Baptist Church is called the Church on the Hill, and it's right on the edge of a big scheme. Council estate, rough and ready, interesting people with very chaotic lives, some of them. Not all, but some. And this particular morning was a blessing service for the young daughter of a couple on the estate. And it was so chaotic that they hadn't even arrived until quarter past service time. And we kind of waited, and the singing was a bit interesting, and the families were all texting and chatting through the, the, the singing. Um, and then we got to the bit where the minister was going to speak, and he, he had a gift that I don't, and he just said, well, well this is, I'm just going to tell you that um, you're going to switch your phones off, because if you don't, I'm finding you a fiver. And you're not going to talk whilst I'm talking, you're going to listen. I thought, you know, I'd love to get away with doing that. But there was something beautifully authentic. 
He welcomed this family in all their chaos, blessed their baby, blessed them, and said to them, quite simply, God loves you. That is mission. There isn't time to talk about all the things that Hillhead people have done, the people who worked overseas as medical missionaries and other sorts of mission. The work of Friday Friendship, Wednesday Fellowship, Pilgrim House, Thumb Bodies, Toddlers, and other countless organisations over the years, all of whom have tried to show God's redeeming love in word and action. The Freshers' Tea, the Christmas and Easter Messy Church, the involvement we have in the West End Festival, and yes, even opening our toilets to people watching a cycle race, are examples of that missionary spirit in our own time. You can tell I get a bit excited about mission, can't you? Prophetic. We're called to be a prophetic people. Working for justice, resisting violence, and challenging the abuse of power. The prophetic task is often misunderstood. And what is labelled as prophecy can quite frankly be suspect or dangerous. A true prophet is somebody who learns to see the world around them as if with God's eyes and to speak into that world as if with God's words. Not to condemn it, but transform it in line with God's promise that one day all things will be made new. Prophets challenge those things that fail to meet God's expectations, pointing out the inevitable consequences of continued individual or corporate sinfulness and urging a change of heart and life to avoid those happening. The prophetic lifestyle risks misunderstanding and mistrust. If you read the Bible, it's quite clear that prophets weren't popular. They said things that people didn't like hearing. Sometimes prophets are ahead of their time. And rather than reasserting the status quo, They offer new, radical, and even absurd alternatives. Hillhead was one of the churches whose steadfast commission, sorry, steadfast commitment to women in ministry eventually led to the Baptist Union of Scotland changing its position, bringing it in line with Baptist unions in England, Wales, and most of the rest of the world. Now, I know that was painful for people in this church. It's deeply painful, but they stuck at it. More recently, we spent a whole day reflecting on some aspects of human sexuality, recognising that we can't just bury our heads in the sand. We have to engage with these issues which are live in our day. And that, too, was costly. I know people got hurt that day. I know people risked being misunderstood, and some people perhaps felt rejected. We don't always agree, but the call to be prophetic is a call to engage in these tough things at the level that it costs. We are a fair trade church. We have our nice certificate. We support Christian aid. We sign the odd position, petition even. And some individuals I know work very much in the areas of injustice poverty, justice, and that sort of thing. But I do wonder, could we do better collectively? There's a danger. There is a danger that we get comfortable and putting up a fair trade certificate and signing the old petition becomes enough. I think being prophetic is a bit more than that.
Lastly, and you'll be relieved, sacrificial. We're called to be a sacrificial people, risking uncertainty, becoming vulnerable and reflecting the generosity of God. It was going so well, wasn't it? Why did they have to put that S on the end? Worshipping, tick. Inclusion, tick. Mission, tick. Even prophetic, tick. But, but sacrificial. Being vulnerable. Taking risks. Reflecting the generosity of God. That doesn't sound quite so nice, does it? Remember what I said early, earlier. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Let go of self-determination, security, ambition. Really? Can't we just sing nice Jesus songs and comply with the Equality Act? Give some money to BMS and TLM and Christian Aid. Sign a few petitions and put up a few posters and then just go back on with our nice lives? Seemingly not. Since 1999-1998, when I first encountered five core values, it's this last one that has stuck with me and troubled me. Because it does seem so incredibly hard. I don't like risk. I don't like being vulnerable. But that is what is demanded of us by the covenant that we entered today with each other and with God. I didn't like it, I don't like it, but since God called me to all-day ministry, I've beginning to, been beginning to learn what that really means. It must have been before 1999, because that was 1997. In the not-too-distant future, we will have to make some big decisions about this building, and they will directly inform the future of us as a faith community. And I know people feel anxious about that. And I hear people expressing concern over the risk involved. And yes, I've even had tell people telling me that they wish I'd stop saying we should have faith and such like and be a bit more practical. I never thought that would happen to me, but there you go. I get it. I so get it. But I think it's wrong. Over the summer, I heard about a Baptist church in Scotland that was considering a major building project. going to cost them around about a million pounds. It's not a big church, and it's certainly not a wealthy church. But they firmly believe this is what God is leading them to do. And this is where sacrificial comes in. The elders of that church remortgaged their homes to underwrite the project. That's risky. That's vulnerable. That's sacrificial. But it's also about faith and commitment to say, together with others, we can continue to be a gospel people in the place that God has put us. Not just now, but in the future. Now, I'm not abusing the power of the pulpit to say, go away and remortgage your houses. Please don't think I am saying that. What I'm saying is that we have to sometimes take risks and make ourselves vulnerable to do what it is that God wants us to do and to be. The, mom, no, bleh, 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 bleh. the mnemonic wimps, sorry. The mnemonic wimps carries with it a sense of weakness and naivety, which can be how people see Christians. Seen from the inside by those who can crack the code, to be wimps is to be entrusted with good treasure. 
as we step into our future, walking with God in ways we know and ways we can't even begin to imagine. I do pray that we will guard that treasure, the treasure entrusted to us by God and by our forebears, and take pride in being wimps together. Let us pray. Father, we come before thee for our prayers of intercession and for others. We give thanks that we have freedom to come to worship. Let us remember Christians in oppressed lands. At the gathering place, we are glad that our Minister Katrina is back with us after her sabbatical. Here at HBC, we are blessed with such a diverse mix of people, from the youngest baby, different ages in between, those who are all older and bless us with their wisdom and experience, all walks of life and different nationalities. May we all walk together, encourage each other in the spirit of God. Let us pray in the silence for those in our congregation who are unable to be with us for various reasons. It is good that we have the work of AANA Friday Friendship in our building, reaching out to the needs of others. Let us pray for troubled lands, for the people of Syria, Kenya, Nigeria, and comfort those who mourn after the terrible tragedy on Friday when the ship was lost. Be near Maura Craig as she walks along the path of her Christian life. On this special day, as we all renewed our vows to God, may we leave this place feeling rejuvenated and go into the world to do thy will. All these things we ask and give thanks in thy name. Amen. And now, may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing, that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish more abundantly, far more than we ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen.